0: right into our series today and and this is the ninth installment of our series on nehemiah man how good has this been every single speaker has brought a relevant word and and an, and an anointed word that's practical and relevant and can get right down into your life and help you and encourage you and lift you and strengthen you and teach you and so i want to encourage you to if you haven't been a part of all those messages go back to the podcast and listen or go back to the YouTube channel and watch it. But you want to get all this word in you deep because I'm telling you, it's life-changing stuff. So today I want to talk to you around the idea I'm carrying on a great project and I cannot come down. I'm carrying on a great project and I cannot come down. That's kind of a weird phrase just reading it as a title. But it's out of our text. We're reading from Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 2-4. through 4 in the NIV and here's here's what it says you can read along with me as you see it on the screen Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message come let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono but they were scheming to harm me so I sent messengers to them with this reply I am carrying on a great project and I cannot go down why should the work stop while i leave it and go down to you four times they sent me the same message and each time i gave them the same answer father we just thank you for your word today we are so blessed by your word and lord we have learned so much from the book of ne- nehemiah and we're we're so thankful that you put this into your word so that we could learn and develop and grow out of it. And so, Father, that's what we pray right now. Open up our hearts. Cultivate our hearts right now out of the worship we have just had. Let our hearts be open. Let our hearts be ready. And, Lord, then take your word like a seed and plant it in the good soil of our heart. And then, Lord, just cause it to produce all kinds of fruit that not only will bless our life and our family but it will bless everyone around us as we're used by you in jesus name we pray and everybody said amen amen you know god's word is so good and we're so thankful for it but i i think you can hear with me what's going on and i'm not going to go back and review all of the story up to this point but suffice it to say Nehemiah got a call from God. God told him to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He got the resources. He got everything he needed to do it. He went to do it. And now he's facing opposition. And the opposition is coming by way of a man who is profiting off of the demise of the Jerusalem walls and the Jerusalem and the, and the Israeli people. And he doesn't like it because he's going to lose power and he's going to lose financial uh, 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 blessing. If these walls are built back, he gains nothing uh, if the walls are built back. So he's opposed to it and he doesn't want it. His name is Sanballat and he is against Nehemiah and he's constantly trying to get Nehemiah to come down. But as you read this text, you can hear the resolve in Nehemiah. You know, I think it's something that we need to learn in our spiritual growth today, in our spiritual lives today, which is all of our life. I don't know if you realize this, but your whole life is spiritual, whether, whether you realize it or not. Your whole life is spiritual, and everything else is sub to that spiritual life, uh, and so we need to understand that first and foremost. But this man had a, an assignment from God, and he would not allow anything to detract from that assignment. He had paid too big a price. He had had too much change in his life. He had gone through this repentance. He had gone through this call of God. He had gone through much prayer and fasting. He had sacrificed. He had had gone to people who he didn't know that would even help him and gotten help from them. It, It was a big process. And now he's here. The walls are being built. The people are on the project. And this opposition is standing against him and saying, come down and talk to me, come down and talk to me, come down and talk to me. And he says no, because he understood two things. Number one, they're, they're, they're mean harm for me. They're trying to set up a trap for me so that I'll be harmed and can't finish the wall. But beyond that, I don't have time to do that. So he, he as repetitively and as, and as unbelievably Uh, 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 consistent this obstacle was, he was even more persistent. He was even more connected to his promise. He was even more absolutely committed. He was not coming down from that wall. It's important that we get this kind of resolve in our spiritual life. God has an assignment for every single one of us. I know that Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we're busy thinking about all the other things we're doing in life, and we haven't somehow attached that to the will and purpose of God for our life. And I think there's some rearranging that needs to happen in all of us. I'm not preaching to you this morning. I'm preaching to us this morning. And, I, I, and, and all of us need to have this, this, this understanding of what God wants from us, what He's trying to get from us, what He expects from us, that He has purpose and assignments for us. And here's what we need to understand about that. Not only is it the right thing to do because it is submission to the will of God, but it's the better thing to do because it's always better for us. A lot of times we think we know better than God so we go our own way and we always find out God's way is better. So there's two reasons to submit to the will of God. Number one, because He's God and we are His children and we need to submit to our Father God. It's the right thing to do, but it's also the better thing to do because our Father is a benevolent Father and He knows what's best for us and He loves us and He cares for us And he wants to do good for us. So when you submit to the will of God, whether you can see the other side or not, it's not just the right thing to do, it's always the better thing to do. You know, God has a purpose and plan for each and every one of us, and he has placed great potential on the inside of us. And if we're willing to discover that potential, if we're willing to develop it, if we're willing to deploy it, we can accomplish some of the greater things than we ever thought we could. And this is what we see happening with Nehemiah and all the families that joined him in rebuilding the wall. God wants us to do something great. You shouldn't be afraid of great. You shouldn't let smallness and small people and small mindedness keep you from understanding that God wants to do something great in you. And you shouldn't be afraid of great and you shouldn't not want to pursue great. But didn't Jesus tell the disciples that they shouldn't pursue greatness? No. He said they should per- pursue greatness, but they should do it in the right way. And to be a great person, you have to be a serving person. You have to be a person who's humble and walks in humility, but we don't want to avoid greatness because listen, we serve a great God. And if that great God wants us to do something, he's given us an assignment. You can better believe whatever that assignment is. It's great. Because God doesn't do things that aren't great. Come on, somebody. This is what we see happening with Nehemiah. This is what we see happening with the families. God wants to do this in them. He he, he wants to do something that changes lives. Something that impacts cultures. Something that changes the world around them. Something that makes a difference. And Nehemiah's quest to rebuild the walls of the great city of Jerusalem. Our purpose, however, is in a general sense to build and increase the kingdom of God by using our potential, bringing glory to God and drawing people to his kingdom. Our purpose here at Summit currently is to be strengthened in our faith by heightening our commitment level and deepening our dedication to relationship with God and adding to our numbers daily. This is what God has burdened us with. He's put this on our heart. Strengthen yourself in your faith. In other words, heighten your commitment, deepen your dedication. And add to your numbers. Constantly invite people into the kingdom. Constantly invite people into your family. Constantly bringing people to church. Inviting people to salvation. Winning people to the Lord. This is the call of God on our lives. The truth is though, in order to do something great, to make a difference, we have to have our mind made up. We have to have a vision. You know, here at Summit, we have a vision. And it's very clear. Leading people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. And all the systems and operations of our church surround that idea. Know God. Don't know about God. Know God. Have a relationship with God. A lot of people know about God. And even they serve what they know about God. But that is not what causes you to be born again, and it's not what causes you to go to heaven. The only thing that causes your life to change from the inside out and writes your name in the Lamb's book of life is when you have a relationship with Jesus. You don't know about Him. You know Him personally. And we, through our weekend worship experiences and everything we do, the, 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 the small group, everything we do, we want that to happen. Know God. We want people to come to know God. A lot of people are so far away from God. And some people are not so far away from God. Some people are lukewarm or backslidden or mediocre in their spiritual walk and they've forgotten that they know God and they've forgotten who God is and how to see him and how to describe him. We, we, want, we, we want to lead people to find freedom. There are things that are trying to captivate our lives, sin that's trying to bind us, sin that's trying to stop us. We want them to find freedom, and that's why we provide small groups. We We want people to get in a small group because we know that if we want forgiveness for our sins, we go to God. But the Bible says if we want to be healed from those things that are binding us, that we confess to one another. What that means, when we get in a small group environment, we get vulnerable. We build relationships, and inside the context of that small group, there's relationships that we build that we can get open and honest and vulnerable with each other and help each other walk through the struggles that we're having and get free from the things that have held us bound. You know, we want people to discover purpose. This is why we do Summit Next in our growth track, because we know God has a purpose for you and he has gifts that he's put in you. He has purpose that he's put in you. He has skills that he's put in you. And we want to discover what those are, help you discover what those are so you can discover how God wants to use that in the kingdom of God to make a difference. And that's the last thing our vision says, make a difference. You know, if you do all those other things, it really doesn't matter. I mean, to be truthful, it really doesn't matter because it's great to know God. But if, if I don't take what I know about God and hand it to someone else that makes a difference in their life, then what does it matter? Yeah, I got to heaven, but my neighbor didn't get to heaven because I didn't share with them what I knew about God. Come on, somebody. We have to get to that place where we make a difference. And we do make a difference in a lot of different ways. And, and the way we do it is by serving Serving the kingdom, serving the church, serving the community, serving people who need help, need instruction, need uh, 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 a helping hand, need, uh, you know, an encouraging word, whatever the case may be, you know, if we'll just commit to it. Here's the good thing about God. If we'll commit to what he wants for us, he will empower us to do it. I think a lot of times God puts something great down in our hearts and it scares us. God burdens us with something big and it makes us, oh, I don't know if I can do that or not. But the truth is, if we'll commit to it, he'll empower us to do it. We commit to fight the battle, he'll give us the win. If we commit to fulfill our purpose, he'll direct our steps. Man, it's just that true. It's just that simple. I'm I'm feeling the anointing right now just talking about it. I'm sensing that power of the Holy Spirit right now as I communicate to you. Why? Because God has gifted me to do what I'm doing right now, and He's taking this Word, and He's planting it in your heart because He wants you to know and understand. He cares about you, and He loves you, and He has created you for good things, and He wants to do good things through you, So what I want to talk to you about in this idea of I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. I want to talk to you about four thoughts on how this works exactly. And you find them in this chapter. If you read the whole chapter, you'll find these four thoughts and it, it explains how this whole process works. So the first thing we find out is that when you set your mind on doing great things, you will face opposition. (laughs) I know that doesn't sound exciting, does it? You get all excited. You get inspired. You decide I'm going to submit. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to I'm going to go I'm going to go on a mission trip, or I, I, I'm going to start that business, or man, I'm going to go talk to my neighbor, or I'm going to share faith with my boss. Or, I, I, I'm going to go down to the coffee shop where I see the same people every week, and and I'm going to begin developing relationships so that I can share faith with them. I, I, I'm going to step out. And lead my family. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. You start getting stirred up and inspired. And as soon as you decide to do it, I promise you it always happens. I I know a lot of people say, I'm going to become more committed to, to attending church. And every single time they say that or get ready, everything in the world gets in the way to try to keep them from getting to the house of God. I'm telling you, the devil is an opposer. And when you set your mind on doing great things, you will face opposition. As soon as Nehemiah committed to build the wall, opposition arose. As soon as he made the statement, we're coming, we're going to rebuild it, we've got the resources, we know what God's told us to do, someone was standing in his way. Now here's the deal. When we decide to rise, there's always someone who wants to pull us down. It's just human nature. Sad part is sometimes it's not always some kind of enemy figure in our life. Sometimes it's people who are close to us and they mean well and they have good intentions. But what they don't realize is the devil's using the things that they're saying to affect our mind and keep us from doing what God's called us to do. I've told this story before and you've probably heard it many times, but when I first started receiving the call to go overseas and do global work, uh, my mother was just not for it, and I—I I mean, I was a—I was in my—I was in my forties, and she was just like, "David, you've got people on your staff," and. Well, thirty, late 30s. You got people on your staff that can go. Why don't you put it all together let them go? Because she just thought, I don't know about that place and it's dangerous and whatever. Because something she didn't understand, and my mom's a woman of faith, y'all. My mom is a good mother, and she, but she cared about me. She didn't understand the context I would be going into, and it just scared her. And so her response to me was, let somebody else do it. Now, if God was to come and tell her something, she would never listen to me say, Mom, let somebody somebody. somebody else do that right but when we sometimes have fear or we have concern we allow that to affect what we say to people who are inspired and need to do what God's calling them to do and we who are inspired need to not listen to voices who would say don't do what God's calling you to do don't you just love quote-unquote those people Uh, when we got married we got married really young we're 19 years old and both of us and 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 we uh, we 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 weren't going to do that. We had gotten out of high school or we high school sweethearts. We weren't going to get married young, and we we're going to go to college. And then and then as we were in college, we we're like, well, we'll go two years, get our associate's degree, and then we'll get married. And then and then we went one year, and we decided, let's just get married. And so uh, I, I'm thankful for my uncle. My uncle told me a lie that I believed, and we went ahead and got married. He said, David, you can live on love. And I'm just going to here to tell you. Uh, you cannot live on love. You can love on love and you can have a good time, but love will not pay your electric bill. You cannot go down to the electric company and say, hey, I really, really love my wife. And they'll say, hey, give me some money and uh, it it won't help you. But I'm glad someone was speaking in my life because there were lots of people going, oh, you guys are so young. I don't know if this is good. I don't know if it's young. There's always a voice saying, don't do what you know you should do. I'm not suggesting everybody should get married at 19. We knew it's what God wanted us to do. Janae, when she got pregnant, and I feel so sorry for ladies who, when they conceive and have, are having children, it's so sad because everybody's got something to say about it. Have you ever noticed that people who are perfect strangers to a pregnant woman will walk up and touch her stomach? I'm like, what are you doing touching her stomach? You, You don't even know this person. Uh, it, it's so weird, this effect, but when Janae got pregnant, we, we heard more horror stories about having kids and raising toddlers and, oh, you're not going to believe how hard this is and how bad this is. and We had a few people said, oh, it's wonderful. Children are a heritage of the Lord is what the Bible says, but you always have those people in your life who, when you're rising, want to pull you down. Uh, when when our kids were pre-adolescent i cannot tell you the amount of people said because our kids have always done really well oh they're not perfect they they've had on streaks we've had to discipline them but they were pretty good girls all the time and and, and but but i guess people who who didn't appreciate that because maybe their kids weren't as a blessing to them as much as ours were to us they would say oh you just wait till your kids become teenagers it's it's like hell on earth you're going to want to lock them in a closet and let them out when they're 18 it's horrible it's horrible i just remember hearing that and thinking that is nonsense. We're gonna have a great time. It's it's one of the best times they can they can actually you know communicate with you almost on an adult level. And we did have great teen years. Did we have some problems? Yes. Did we have some problems when they're pre-adolescent? Yes. But we knew what God had a purpose for us and a purpose for them, and we didn't listen to the voices that continually try to tell you, oh, it's bad, oh, it's not good, oh, it's not gonna come to fruition. You know, God hasn't changed, and God's always the same, and God's given us purpose. He's given us design. He's going to do what he said he's going to do. So we just need to believe in him and stop listening to all the reports around us that are saying all these negative things and just continue to rise. God wants you to rise to greatness. He wants you to build that wall. He wants you to take on that impossible task and go for it, not because you have the ability, but because you believe him to give you the power to do it. Amen. Amen. So, so you're always going to run into this, but we were stubborn. We're so stubborn that we we would find ways to combat this. Like, people would say, oh, you just wait for the terrible twos. And we'd say, you mean the terrific twos? You you sometimes just have to speak your faith, you know what I'm saying? And were some of the twos not so good? Yeah, because children are hard sometimes. But the truth is, when you look at it from a different perspective, it changes the way you see it, and it changes the way you live it. There's always someone for whatever reason and sometimes for no reason at all that are just negative and will try to stand in your way. King David was anointed king and the first thing out of the box, he faces a giant. I mean, Samuel came and said, find me one of your sons that's a king. No one was the king. They got David off the pasture field. They anointed him king. And, 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 and someone else was already sitting on the throne. So he didn't understand what all that meant. He was 17 years of age. But in, within the context of that time, he went to deliver some food to his brothers who are at war, and he faced a giant. And everybody else saw this as a, an intimidation and no way to defeat it, but David saw it as an opportunity. When you make up your mind to do something great, you're going to face opposition. The, the decision you have to make is that it doesn't matter. So what, the devil's trying to keep me out of church. So what, the devil's trying to take my kids down the wrong path. So what, the devil's trying to attack my marriage. I'm gonna face opposition, but I don't have to give in to opposition. I'm on the wall. I'm building this great project. I do not have time to come down and have a conversation. I'm not listening to the opposition. I'm not allowing the opposition to overwhelm me or overtake me. I will do what God called me to do. I will accomplish it in the face of killing giants, in the face of going around walls, in the face of praying in a garden for what God has called me to do. It doesn't matter The opposition will be there, but I will stand against it and I will achieve what God called me to achieve. Look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was praying for God to help him do his will because one of his disciples had just said, No, Lord, don't do that. He literally, after saying, You're the Messiah, Peter said, Jesus, You're the Messiah. And Jesus said, You've heard this from God in the same moment. He told them he's going to have to give his life. And Peter said, oh, no, you're not. And the Lord looked at him and he said, you are acting like the devil. He said, get behind me, Satan, because you don't understand the will of God and you're standing in my way. Sometimes it's people who they just love you and they think they know what's best for you. But you need to hear the voice of the Lord on this. When God tells you to do something, don't let anyone get in your way. Jesus was baptized. What was the first thing that happened after Jesus was baptized to start his ministry? The first thing that happened, he faced opposition in the wilderness. The second thing is opposition Opposition can come in three different ways. Opposition can come in three different ways. And, and this first one we've talked about before. I'm not going to take too long to talk about it, but is distraction. Distraction can be so subtle. Now listen to what I'm about to say because... You may miss it if you don't really listen. Distraction can be so subtle that it doesn't seem like opposition. And at times, we may not even realize it until we're already distracted. It's the truth. Nehemiah's distraction was just a pestering voice. Someone who opposed him and wanted to keep him talking so he would stop building. You have to always remember that distraction is for the purpose of keeping you from becoming. You see, when every time you're distracted and you get off target from what God wants for you, it's keeping you from becoming what God has called you to become. Every time, that's what the purpose of distraction is. Uh, Nehemiah's distraction was just this pestering a voice of Sandballot, who was constantly just trying to get him to stop, just stop building. You know they'd love for us to stop building. They'd love for us the enemy would love for us to stop preaching the truth. The, the enemy would love for us to stop standing for what's right. The enemy would love for us to quit praying. Oh, he would love for us to quit praying. He would love to be able to keep us from studying the word and standing on the word. He'd love to be able to distract us so that we wouldn't do the will of God and keep building that wall or fulfilling that purpose or running that business or leading that family he would love to get us off track he would love to make the unimportant things important to us so the important things would get left undone can I tell you that 's what his whole job is and we need to figure it out because some of us are distracted and we don 't even realize it nehemiah 's distraction was that pestering voice just to keep him from stop building understand that it 's the whole purpose to get you to stop obviously another uh, what we want to find out, we know. We know what Nehemiah's distractions were. what is our what are distractions? What are they? Well, obviously the first one is our crisis busyness. That's what I call it. I call it a crisis of busyness. It's 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 us being kept so busy with unimportant things that we we don't fulfill our purpose. We forget all about what we're here to do. It's a loss of focus because we're trying to focus on too many things. There's another thing, crisis of socially disconnected connectedness. In other words, social media. We talk about it a lot, but I'm going to tell you, listen, we think we're becoming connected, and the truth is we're becoming more disconnected because we're spending so much time. I'm just going to ask you an honest question. Mom and dad, husband and wife, what's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Do you turn over and get your phone before you even say hello to your spouse? Do you turn over and look at social media? Uh, How much time in the evenings are you on social media? We are in a crisis here. We don't even realize it. We are allowing this attempt to be more connected, to disconnect us from the people who it's most important to be connected to. How many parents do I see trying to parent as they're trying to also look at their phone and take their selfie and check out the social media? Listen, we are in a crisis of socially disconnected connectedness. Plain and simply, plain and simply, another version of our our distraction is this. It's phones. It's our phones. The phone used to be something that hung on your wall that you didn't allow interrupt your meal when you were meeting as a family to eat. Now you can't even put your phone down without feeling weird and having some psychosomatic vibration that you don't even have a phone on you, but you can feel it vibrating because you're so addicted to your phone. (laughs) Come on. Our phones have become an enemy of distraction to our lives and it's stealing purpose. You know what's sad about distraction is it doesn't even have to be something important. You, 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 it doesn't even have to be some great sin. You know, a lot of people are going to stand before God not make it to heaven, not because they were involved in great sin. They didn't even take the opportunity to be and have fun and have sin. They just were so distracted by minimal things that didn't mean anything. They just didn't serve God. How, how sad. It all adds up to filling our life with things that may give us temporary feeling of fulfillment but it's not our purpose and it results in regret and waste. Another thing that is opposition to us is deception. Nehemiah's deception started uh, excuse me Nehemiah's opposition started lying to him and lying about him to try to get him to stop his forward progress. Unfortunately, this can happen to us when people are jealous or they oppose what we're trying to do. This can and probably will happen. I can't, even, I can't even tell you how many times this has happened to me in my life as a leader, that people would either lie to me or lie about me to try to get me to stop from doing what I was believing God was telling me to do. However, the deception we will most assuredly face is the lies the devil tries to tell us. Lies like, you aren't capable of doing this. Lies like, who do you think you are? Or, this is going to fail and you're going to look like a fool. For example, for example, listen to this. Every temptation the devil came at Jesus with started with one phrase. If you are the son of God. He questioned Jesus. He tried to deceive Jesus. He tried to get him to look at himself as you're not going to accomplish this. If, even if you are the son of God, can you do this? Can you do that? He was attacking the mind of Jesus with deception. He, he wouldn't even allow his identity to be what it was. He was trying to convince him, you're not even who you say you are. Listen, the enemy, your opposition, can do this by spiritual attack on your mind. Or he can use what people say even people who you love and have good intentions to sow seeds of fear and doubt into your mind. But here's the big deal. This is the big issue. The last way deception works, unfortunately, has nothing to do with the devil or other people. It has to do with me, myself, and I. Because here's the truth. Deception works this way. We can be our own worst enemy at times simply by letting fear, of failure or fear of rejection cause us to speak doubt and fear over our own situation. The third thing that opposition does is domination. Domination. In other words, intimidation. Intimidation. I call it blustering. The enemy wants you to stop. See, that's the whole goal. Stop fulfilling the purpose of God. Stop living your life for God. Stop being full on for God. Stop being uh, full on in the church. Stop serving. Stop loving. Stop giving. Stop caring. He just wants you to stop. If he could just get you to stop. He doesn't even have to get you to sin. He doesn't have to get you to be immoral. He just wants you to stop doing the purpose of God. And so whatever it takes. And so sometimes he'll bluster at you. I call it blustering. It's, the, it's when the enemy starts ye- yelling out threats. He starts spouting angry words of war. The whole purpose is to get you to back down without having to do anything but yell. And most of the time, intimidation is just that. It's a big bunch of noise that will amount to nothing but a big bunch of noise. And we have to get this in our mind. What did Goliath do? Goliath came out and he yelled and he, and he accused and he threatened and he scared the entire armies of Israel. But for some reason, what they heard as threats, David took personally and said, you're not going to talk about my God that way. And he said, you can talk all day long, but I'm going to take your head from you and I'm going to bring you down today. And we're going to defeat your armies today. And that should be our response Always to the dominating effects of our opposition when that spiritual attack comes. I remember one time we were doing ministry and we're having to drive to and from and it was about an hour's drive. And I remember I was driving down the road and my my family was driving behind me because we took two different vehicles because I had to go earlier. And I can remember just as clear as day, I, the enemy attacked my mind as I saw them, and I heard this in my heart. He, he said, I'm going to kill your entire family in that vehicle and make you watch. I heard that, and it didn't, I didn't hear it once. I heard it twice. Three, four, five times just in that same road trip. And every time I had to take authority and say, you will not speak to me. And my family is protected by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I will not allow you. And it stopped after I stood up and said, I have authority over that in the name of Jesus. Goliath was defeated. Why? Because David didn't listen to all the intimidation. He just did what needed to be done. So I want to give you some keys to winning against the opposition and achieving greatness. The first is you need to reject distraction, which simply means stay focused on the will and purpose of God. He stayed focused on that. He said, they came after me four times and said, we need you to come and talk to us. And four times I sent back the same reply. I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Come on, we need to get that kind of resolve. I'm feeling this anointing in here today. We need to get that kind of resolve. Come on, when we say, devil, I don't care what you have to do. I don't care what the world's going on. I don't care all the inundation of information. I don't care how much immorality there is around me. I'm not coming down from this wall. I'm not going to stop building righteousness into my family. I'm not going to stop living for the Lord. I'm not going to stop getting up in the morning and praying and seeking the face of God. I'm not going to stop standing on the word and the promises of God for my life. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to reject distraction and stay focused. I got a sword in one hand and a hammer in the other and I'm just going to keep building this wall. You can yell, you can scream, you can bring by every temptation, you can say whatever you want, you can make it pretty, you can make it ugly, you can do whatever you want. I am not coming down. This is a great work and I'm not coming down. Reject distraction. Stay focused. Keep your eye on the prize and learn to say no to yourself and to others. Realizing that you can't do everything. You just can't. You'll give up some things for other things. And here's the key. Give up the less important things for the more important things. And don't don't give any time to the urgent unimportant. Take Jesus, for example, when he faced temptation. He rejected the distractions outright by simply keeping his focus on what he was there to do. As it is written, As it is written, as it is written, he said. And they all had to do with the purpose of his life. Don't let your focus be taken away from you by all the distractions the devil would create. How sad would it be that you could not stand before God and hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant, simply because you were too busy being distracted. Stay focused for the kingdom. Amen. Come on, somebody. The, the next thing is speak truth to lies. We know that deception comes to try to get us off track. Speak truth to lies. Confront lies head on. Don't listen to lies. When the devil lies to you, don't listen. When, when the world lies to you, don't listen. When everybody in popular opinion says things that are not true and are not right, are true and are right, don't listen. And speak truth to lies. Speak truth. Truth to lies. Everybody, say that with me right now. Speak truth to lies. Don't listen to the lies. Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians, chapter ten, verse three through five. It says, "This bring every disobedient thought under subjection to Christ." In other words, speak, speak truth directly to lies. Nehemiah said to Sam Ballot, You are making every bit of that up out of your mind. Because Sanballat was saying, you're going to try to become king instead of the king. And what Nehemiah knew is, I'm a man of integrity. And my king has my trust. And I know the king. And I know he doesn't believe that. And I know that's not true. So he said to Sanballat, you're lying. You're making it up. I'm not listening to you. I'm not coming down. The reason he could say that is because he was living a life of integrity. And he had trust in his life. And he knew his opposer was lying. Listen, don't fear calling deception out. Why do we have to be the ones afraid when we're standing for truth? Listen to me. Don't be afraid because you're afraid what other people might think if you say something that's true. Say the truth. Live the truth. And what is the truth? I'm holding it in my hand. This is the truth. Oh, but everyone's saying that that's, some of that is truth and most of it's allegorical. Oh, yeah, Really? So, so how come this book has survived so many attempts to destroy it? And how come it, it was written over 1,500 to 2,000 years by 40 different authors on three different continents and three different languages, most of whom didn't know each other, but it all correlates to bring out one message to you. It's historically accurate. It's spiritually accurate. It's prophetic accurate. How could it be all of that and not be truth? It's important for us to stop listening to what the devil has to say about what God is doing. We need to get back in a perspective that God is God and we love him and we care about him because he first loved us and what he says is true. And we don't have to kowtow to fear. We don't have to kowtow to deception. We can stand up and we can speak out the truth. I'm sorry if I'm getting a little excited, but I believe it today. Say no to fear. Beat the bully back. I love what Franklin D. Roosevelt said. He said, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. (laughs) I love that. What you're doing is more important than fear. Leading your family to Christ is more important than fear. Sharing your faith with your uh, other employees is more important than fear. Making your business a righteous business is more important than fear. Being in the house of God is more important than fear. Following God's will for your life is more important than fear. Simply refuse to let fear rule you. I could go on, but I, I, I want to close it down. Four, the fourth thing is when we stick with God's way of doing things, it produces major miraculous impact. First thing, they returned, which was major and miraculous. These were people under oppression. But for some reason, King Artaxerxes let them go home. Nehemiah came back to build that wall, and he did it with resources that was given, it, given to them by their oppressor. King Artaxerxes, because of the favor that he had, because of the graciousness of Nehemiah's God was upon him, King Artaxerxes responded to that graciousness and gave him all the resources he needed to do what he was going to do. You may not know this, but because the story seems so long and over so many, so much time, the truth is once they started building those walls, they built those walls to completion in 52 days which resulted in taking the wind out of the sails of all their opposition. Because when you looked on what they did, the only thing you could say is their God is with them. Listen, when all the chips fall, everybody, come on, when everything is over, it's all going to be okay. Because if you've lived this life of surrender, if you've lived this life of submission to the will of God, I'm telling you, You're not going to regret the results. You're not going to regret what has happened in your life. Which it resulted in this, all their opposition saying, man, God is for them. We can't be against them. We can't, there's nothing we can do. You know, it's like Joshua fought the the battle of Jericho. He had the most, absolutely the most un-military type attack that has ever been listed in history, except for maybe Gideon. God told him literally, the first city that was the most enormous and intimidating city in Canaan, God told him, Walk around the walls. What a ridiculous request. That's ridiculous. This is a military man. He was a man of war. He was a smart general. He was ready to come up with a strategy and go take Jericho. God, you promised us Jericho, you promised us Canaan. I know you're going to give us the victory. We're ready to fight. In other parts of the new the, the Old Testament in those first books, you see Joshua fighting and leading the people of God in, in war. And, and he was a great military might, but God didn't want him to do that. God wanted to show him, look, this is not about you winning a battle. It's about me fighting for you. See, because when we commit ourselves to God, he will fight for us. God calls us. And when he tells us to do something that seems weird or indifferent, listen, this life of following Christ is not about comfort. It's not about safety. It's about adventure. It's about faith. It's about stepping out there and believing that what God said is true. And so Joshua obeyed God, he walked around those walls at the seventh time, the seventh day, the trumpets blew, the walls fell, they won. Why? Because God's way better. God calls us, but not only does He call us, He equips us. He gives us the gifts, the talents, the potential, the Holy Spirit power to achieve everything He asks us to do. We have the victory. You need to understand that even before you fight, you have the victory. You have the power, you have the purpose, you have the potential to accomplish everything He wants you to accomplish. So let's look at the opposition in the eye. The enemy of our soul, the devil, the the one who has the mission statement to kill, steal and destroy us. Let's look him in the eye and let's say we will not go down without a fight. Let's say we will not be discouraged. We will not be defeated. We will rebuild this wall. We will repent, rebuild, and restore. We will not come down. We will finish the work. And God will do it through us. We will defeat discouragement. We will break the family pattern of divorce. We will break free of this addiction. We will overcome unforgiveness. We will rebuke the devil. We will heighten our commitment and deepen our dedication. We will not be defeated. We will rebuild this wall for the next generation. We refuse to leave them stranded without the walls of their values and their virtues. We will build the wall. We will not come down. We will not Be distracted. We cannot come down. We will not come down. We're too busy doing a great work. Father, we thank you for your word today. And I feel the spirit of victory in my heart today. And I feel the Holy Spirit power in my life today. We're not looking at the world. We are not a defeated church. We are not overcome. We are not... The only one that can stop us is us. And we refuse today. We say today, like Nehemiah, we will not be distracted. We will not be deceived. And we will not be dominated. We will live according to the power and grace of God's word and God's spirit. And we will accomplish what he's called us to do in every family, in every life. We will heighten our commitment. We will deepen our commitment our dedication, and we will add numbers to your kingdom every day in Jesus' name. Amen.